Good morning, Grace Point. It's so good to see you. Welcome to those that are watching online. You are a beautiful congregation. Look at your smiles. Do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you and say, good morning. And you, say it after me, and you look marvelous. Wow. Two people in the back just got engaged. That's so cool. So glad here. Hey, good morning. My name is Jim Walden. I am one of the newer staff members around here. I am the Connections Pastor. And I just can't tell you how thrilled I am to be with you. No, I've not had any coffee yet this morning. But I'm just so fired up when uh, Josh asked me if he would, if I could fill in for him. I thought, oh, I'd love to do it. I'm growing to love the staff and the people. Some of you I've been able to meet so far. Some of you I haven't. I look forward to doing that. But just pleased to be with you this morning. And I just, again, want to pray real, real quickly before I teach. Would you bow with me, okay? Father, thank you so much that you are in this place and you are with those who are watching also. We're surrounded not only by the Holy Spirit, but by a great cloud of witnesses. And you want to speak. Lord Jesus, I need you to speak to me. Would you speak to each one who's listening now? Love them as only you can and draw us to you. So pleased to share your word. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. Come and teach. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. amen. Well, this is going to be indeed the final message uh, in the series, Asking for a Friend. And uh, it's been a fun series. We've asked questions such as issues on forgiveness, uh, why am I so cynical? Craig taught last week about why pray. And my guess is you probably have a thousand other questions we haven't addressed. But isn't it interesting how each question seems ultimately to come back to Jesus? And today we're going to ask a question that uh, a friend of mine, this guy I know, often asks. And that is, does God love me or does God have favorites? Does God love me? Does God have favorites? Now, it's good to be honest in church, right? So I want to do a little impromptu survey. Will you participate with me? The answer is yes, just raise your hand. Three quick questions. Number one, how many of you have ever told a lie in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you just showed what a liar you are, okay? <laughs> how many of you have ever taken something without asking that's not yours? Even if it's a cookie or a pencil? Yeah. Third question, last one. How many of you have ever disobeyed an authority, whether it's a parent, a teacher, or a police officer? Well, good morning, you lying, thieving, disobedient people. <laughs> Notice I was raising my hand on all of them too. We're all in the same boat. We sang about hope today, and maybe you wonder, like my friend does sometime, does God love me? Does he have favorites? Maybe we could pose it this way. Why does it seem that some people seem so naturally to walk intimately with God and others might struggle? Is there hope for me? Here's what I want to invite you to do. Um, this is going to be a little bit different of a message, maybe from what you're used to. Kind of like this. Go ahead and fold your hands and look at your hands. Are you left thumb over right or right thumb over left? Now, now switch them up. Just kind of different, isn't it? Oh, or fold your arms. Are you right arm over left or left over right? That's weird. Now, now try to switch them. Can you do that? It's kind of awkward, right? I don't know. How do I get that? 
This will be different in that I'm gonna toss a lot of scripture your way, so hang in there with me. But if you have your Bible or an electronic device, turn to Genesis chapter two. My dad was a preacher too, and I loved it when he said turn to Genesis. I knew I could find that one, right? Or if he said Revelation, that was cool. That was in the back right before maps. But we're gonna take a look primarily. Some of you just got that, okay. We're gonna look primarily at three passages today, and I wanna look at a guy named Moses. You heard of this guy? Moses. And when we go towards the end of his life, I want to show you an interesting verse in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. And look what the Bible says towards the end of his life. Now Moses was a very, what? Humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. You may say, wait, what? Moses? I can name six strikes against him right away, right? Number one, he was a murderer and a deceiver, right? Exodus 2, he was mad at the Egyptian for beating on the Hebrews. So he takes the guy aside, looks one way, then the other, and what's he do? He kills him, and then he buries his body in the sand. He's a deceiver and a murderer. Number two, he's a fugitive. The Bible says when Pharaoh heard that Moses had murdered this dude, Pharaoh tries to kill him, but Moses runs off to Midian. Number three, Moses was insecure. When he stood in front of God at the burning bush, imagine how you'd feel if you were standing in front of God at a burning bush. The Lord said, I want you to go to Egypt and bring my people out. And he said, I'm insecure. Who am I? How could you use me, Lord? Number four, Moses had a handicap. The Bible says he had a speech impediment. He said to God at the burning bush, oh Lord, please, I've never been eloquent and I'm very slow of speech. Number five, kind of like this friend of mine, Moses liked to tell the Lord what to do. Anybody know what that's like? When the Lord said go, he said, oh Lord, forgive me, just send someone else. He wanted to tell God what to do. And sixth, Moses had an ongoing anger problem. Not only did he murder a dude back in Egypt, but when Israel was in the wilderness and they needed water, God had him go to a rock. The second time God said, speak to the rock. And what did he do? He struck the rock twice out of anger. So why would the Lord say a guy with six strikes like this against him was a humble man? Well, I want to show you a verse here in a moment that another guy that had some issues, his name was King David. He had some issues too, right? But he wrote a popular song that many of you probably know, Psalm 103. You familiar with that? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all's within me. I want to show you something fascinating that's tucked early on in that psalm. Look at me at Psalm 103, verse 7. It says, the Lord made known his ways to Moses and his deeds or acts to the people of Israel. Now, I want you to look at this closely with me because there's two distinctions here of what God shows Israel and what God shows Moses. They're different. The first thing God showed the people of Israel was his deeds or his acts. It's the Hebrew word alila, which basically means to perform, to show actions, and God showed Israel what he could do. I mean, think about it with me, right? Israel was in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. But when God rescues them, what do they see? God turns the rod into a serpent, right? He turns the Nile River into 
blood, right? The plague of gnats and flies and hail, darkness. Then they get released with the death of the firstborn. Once they leave Egypt, they go out in the wilderness. And can you imagine this one? God parts the Red Sea. Then he rains down manna or bread every day for them to eat. He brought them quail and meat. So they got to see what God did. As a matter of fact, Jesus says every day, everybody can see God's actions. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and he brings the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So everyone each day gets to see what God can do. So the second half of the verse is Israel got to see his acts. But the first part of the verse, look at this, is fascinating. The Lord made known his ways. That's the word Derek. You ever met somebody named Derek? It's a Hebrew word that can have different translations, and one of them is this. It's a course of life or a mode of action. In other words, why does God do what he does How does God think? Not just what he does, but how does God process things? How does he think? What's his character like? Now you may say, why would the Lord make his ways known to Moses, but not to everyone? Let's ask the question again. Does God have favorites? I mean, does God love a guy like Billy Graham or a woman like Mother Teresa more than you and me? I want to put that notion to rest. I'm going to show you four quick verses here. Would you say them out loud with me? Romans 2, say it. For God does not show. Galatians 2, God does. How about Ephesians 6? And there is no. Yeah, Colossians 3, and there is no. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 2, James says, if you show favoritism, you sin and you break the law. So God doesn't have favorites, but how does God operate? Well, he does oppose some people. It's found in three places in the scripture. Here's one in 1 Peter 5. God opposes the whom? The proud, but he gives grace to whom? The humble. Wow. So what makes a man or a woman or a boy or a girl humble? Friends, I believe there's a clear reason you can find in Scripture as to why the Lord showed his ways to Moses. And I think it brings you and me great hope. It's found in Exodus 33 that I'm going to show you in a moment. Now, let me set up Exodus 33. Israel's out in the wilderness with Charlton Heston. I mean, Moses, I'm sorry. I always get those two clear. Remember, Moses led them out, and they're in the wilderness. Moses goes up onto the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. He's gone how many days? Do you remember? 40 days, and they think he's lost in the wilderness. He's a guy, right? He won't stop and ask for directions, man. He's lost. And they go to Aaron and say, we don't know what happened to Moses, but we need something to worship. You give us gods to worship. So what's Aaron say? Give me your gold. And he takes the gold and he fashions it into a golden what? Calf. And they turn on God and they start this ludicrous festival and worship against God. And Moses comes down from the mountain And the nation gets hit with a plague. This is a bad, a tough time. Can you think of another nation that's going through some struggles and has been hit by a plague? I'm not saying that COVID is sent because of our rebellion. I just think the similarities of tough times are very interesting. And then Moses, 
In Exodus 33, the next chapter, he speaks to the Lord. Now, what does Moses ask for? I want you to watch this because Moses could have said, oh God, <clears throat> get rid of the plague. Oh God, please get us out of this wilderness. Oh God, get us to the promised land. Oh God, do... what's Moses say? Look at Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. Here we go, verse 13. If you are pleased with me, show me your, what? Ways. So I may know you and continue to find favor or grace with you. Remember God, this nation's your people. His prayer is show me your ways. Why did the Lord show Moses his ways as it says in Psalm 103? It's simple. Because he asked the Lord he humbled himself and said, teach me your ways. Moses could have asked the Lord to do something spectacular, but in essence, Moses is saying, Lord, I have to know you. I gotta know how you operate, how you think, more than what you can do. Question for you. How do we pray? I deeply appreciated Craig's message last week about prayer and the Lord's Prayer. And when it comes to our requests, which Craig mentioned, especially in tough, challenging, hard times, what do we ask for? Do we ask for the Lord to rescue us? Take our problems away? God, please change this situation. Or how about this prayer? Oh, God, change them. Or do we say, God, teach me about you and your character overall? Sometimes we just want to get out of our mess, right? When I played high school basketball, one season I had the most frustrating season because we had a head coach that loved six players, the starting five, which I was not one, and a sixth man. And he favored these six guys. The rest of us rode the bench the whole season. And he'd keep the sixth man in case one of the starting five got in foul trouble or the coach got ticked off at him. And we rode the bench. I just wanted to get off that bench. I couldn't stand it. Um, I played nine seconds on my home court that season. It was the last nine seconds of the year. It was the last game. It was over, so the coach just cleared the bench. Halfway through that season, I remember sitting there, and I made eye contact with a gal across the court. Our cheerleaders sat on the opposite side. One of the cheerleaders was not only a friend of mine. She was in our church youth group, and I went like this. And she knew what that meant, and she started the cheer. We want Walden. We want Walden. I'm like, go, 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 go. Man, I'm go I want to get out of here. How often do we just want to get out of the situation we're in? How often do we approach the Lord this way? We pray something like, oh, Lord, take this away. Get me out of this. Release me from. Not thinking, Lord, is there something you're trying to reveal to me about you? Why is this so important? Let me ask you this. My wife, Deanna, is sitting over here, and um, Craig, as he taught last week, uh, wisely mentioned relationships. What if our relationship simply existed this way? Hey, Deanna, can you make me a sandwich? Hey, Deanna, can you do my laundry? Hey, Deanna, can you come and clean up this room? Hey, Deanna, can you make my bed, iron my shirt, bring me a drink, give me my slippers? How great would that relationship be? But I have to admit, I've got this friend <laughs> who so many times has done this with the Lord and basically said, God, you show me what you can do and not show me who you are. 
Humility says, above all, Lord, like Moses said, I want to know you and your ways, how you think. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3. What's more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my what? Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And then he says this, he goes on. Do you know how the rest of the verse goes? I'm gonna test your memory if you know these verses. I wanna know what? How to get out of this dungeon, how to get out of this beating, how to get out of the shipwreck. What's Paul say? Look what he says. I wanna know Christ, the power of his resurrection participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, I want to know the Lord. Now, let's shift gears just for a moment. I'm going to throw a lot of verses. Are you at Genesis 2 right now with your Bible or tablet or whatever? Go to Genesis 2. We're going to pick it up at verse 4 because Moses wrote this. Remember, Moses wrote the first five books. So Moses penned this, and I think it's why he penned it this way. It's how God was introduced at the beginning of creation, especially to Adam and Eve. Let's look at how it went south. Genesis 2, I need your help. Would you, when I pause, would you read the next words? Your translation will probably be close to mine. You ready? Genesis 2, verse 4, got it? This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the, you got it, Lord God created, made the heavens and the earth. Go to verse 5. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. Go to verse seven. Then the what? Lord God. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Let me know if you see a pattern with the name. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Verse eight. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. Verse nine. The Lord God made all, the all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in charge of the garden to work and care for it. Jump with me, if you would, to verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you'll die. Verse 18, the Lord... God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals. Go to verse 21. But the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Last one, verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. So what do we see here? 12 times. 12 times he's introduced as Lord God. Now, Many of you know this. If you don't, let me just help you real quickly. Lord, and you see it's capital L, small capital O, small capital R, small capital D. Because sometimes you'll see Lord with all small letters. But when it's this Lord, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, which I translate as the only existing one who's overall. He's in charge, okay? God, the second name, is the plural word Hebrew for the creator, uh, we know him as, help me out, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God is the creator, but Lord is over all. Now, here we go. We're going to go now. Keep that in mind. We go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, where it goes south. Y'all ready with me? So the serpent, it says, verse 1, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God, there it is again, had made. And watch this. And the serpent said to the woman, did what name does he drop? 
Yeah. Does God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? He drops the name of the one who's in charge. He's saying, Eve, think about this. You really don't need God as Lord. Satan has no problem most people believing there's a God. I just saw this recent Gallup poll, June of 2022, said belief in God in U.S. dips to 81%, a new low. I'm surprised there's still 81% of people that believe there's a God. Imagine that. There's still 81% of people that believe there's a God. And Satan's fine with that. He doesn't mind the word God. He doesn't want him to be Lord. He believes there's a God. Look what James says. James says, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Satan has no problem with people believing there's a God. He just doesn't want him to be what? Lord, in charge. And Eve bites on it. Forgive the analogy. But she's gonna eat the fruit, right? And people wonder, what was the fruit? Well, you know, some think it was an apple. I think it was a banana. They peeled it, dropped it, they slipped in the peel, and that was the fall of man. I know, that was, don't quit my day job, right? But go with me now to Genesis 3, verse 2. Watch how Eve bites on it. Genesis 3, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God, what name does she drop? Lord. Did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or or you're, you're gonna die. She doesn't fall for the lie because it's a good-looking piece of fruit. Genesis 2.9 said lots of trees had fruit that was good for food, pleasing to the eye. Look what Satan goes on with in verse 4. Genesis 3, verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said of the woman, for God knows. See, he drops the name again. He knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. And then he says what? You will be what? Like God, whoa. Hey, can I remind you, what was Satan's downfall? He wanted to be what? Like God. Isaiah records it for us, Isaiah 14. Satan says, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself what? Like God. He's saying, you can be your own Lord. You don't have to listen to him. You can be like God. Think of it this way. If I could run 70 miles an hour like Pastor Frank, right? (laughs) If I could run 70 miles an hour for four and a half hours, I wouldn't need a car to get to St. Louis, right? Wouldn't need the car if I could be like a car. If I could spread my arms like wings and somehow soar at 500 miles an hour for three hours, I wouldn't need an airplane to get to Los Angeles if I'm like a plane, And if I could be like God, I would need him as Lord. And this is where it gets us into trouble. Satan's saying, sure, God exists, but he doesn't have to be your Lord. You know better. You're smarter and wiser. Let's ask the tough $64,000 question at this point. How's it going for us being our own Lord? How's our nation doing? How are our families, our schools, our marriages? This is where it gets each of us into trouble. Don't listen to his thoughts. Satan loves to have us imagine. Live your own life. Make your own decisions. The, the word of God, it's out of date. 
There's a better way to think and run your life. Be your own Lord. And gang, why is this such a huge issue? Well, a couple reasons, but first, it, it, it keeps the Lord from removing the sin of folks he loves. See, because God wants to remove our sin because our sin separates us from him. And look what Paul said in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth, say it with me, Jesus is, wow, not Jesus is love. And Jesus is loving, isn't he? He's good, he's gracious, he's patient, he's forgiving. But you gotta come back and say, I've been my own Lord, I've rebelled against you because I know this friend that has. If you confess with your mouth, okay, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved from your sins. For it's with your heart you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess what? Jesus is Lord, and you're saved. Paul said to the Philippians, this is what it's gonna be on the very last day. We're all gonna see it when we stand before God, everybody. Look at this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is to the glory of God the Father. See, friends, with you and me, the evil one doesn't want us to bow our knee and our will to Jesus, especially in challenging times. Now, let me share a story with you. This first part's not the story. My wife and I will be flying to California this week. Um, I, I served Jesus for 35 years in ministry as a pastor, and then when I developed some heart issues, I had to back off the accelerator. Um, but some folks back there wanted me to come back and, and do their wedding. So Deanna and I are flying to California and Deanna is gonna be reunited with some of her dearest friends. One gal's name is Patricia. Bear with me, I wanna tell you her story. Years ago, she was out and about and she became so weak, she couldn't not only stand up, she couldn't even sit up. Happened almost like that. They rushed her to the hospital, did blood work on her and discovered, and forgive me, anyone in the medical field, if I'm mispronouncing it, forgive me, they discovered she had acute myelogenous leukemia. The oncologist said to Don, her husband, privately, this is not good. We'll do what we can. The oncologist came back to Patricia laying there and told her the prognosis, and he said, we need to infuse you with four bags of blood. Patricia quipped, I'd rather go shopping. <laughs> but she knew what it meant potentially. So they hooked her up to a very large tube to get ready to transfer blood. And again, so weak she couldn't even sit up on her own. Couldn't sit up. For a while, she was all alone in her fourth floor room at the hospital waiting for the blood to start. She remembers looking out the fourth story window and she saw letters moving by. Not on the billboard and a sign, not behind an airplane. She just saw block letters floating there that said, in all things, give thanks. So counterintuitive when you think you're gonna die. That's referring to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Patricia also admitted that not only was she gripped with this disease, most of her life she had been gripped with fear and anxiety. But at that moment, all alone, however, she said, these are her words, and I quote, I heard the Lord speak to my heart, and he said to me, thank me for the disease. So counterintuitive as Lord, right? And as she was there all alone, she said, okay, Lord, if I die tonight, you'll take me. 
but I need to ask you to do something. Forgive me for all the fear and anxiety I've had that I've held on to. Because you're Lord and you have said fear and I've refused to give it to you. I totally give it to you now. Her testimony goes on to say, I didn't ask him to heal me, but I said, if you take me tonight, then please help Don with the kids. And I thank you that if I die tonight, I'll be with you, not because of one single thing I've done, but because you paid the entire price for me on the cross by dying for my sins. But by faith, I'm gonna thank you for this disease. And I hand over to you all my fear and anxiety. Do with me what you will, but to you be the glory. And she says, it wasn't fun, but it was the best thing. Because she said, suddenly, I was sitting upright in my bed. She said, I didn't sit me up. God sat me up, and I felt it leave. And she said, I felt it. I was healed. The doctors thought I was nuts. Her primary care doctor who came to the hospital, who hadn't tested her, was ridden with guilt and said, I've killed you, I've killed you. And she walked out, and she never saw her again. (laughs) They ran the blood. They did some blood work. Listen to this. The oncologist stood by her bed later looking at the results as if something was wrong. She said, what's wrong? He said, we can't find the cancer. It's gone and it can't hide in these tests. She said, I know I told you I was healed. That was 17 years ago. And now she spends much of her time, right, Deanna? Telling anyone and everyone what the Lord can do if you'll let him be Lord. Now listen, to clarify, This doesn't mean that anyone who turns to the Lord will be miraculously healed. I've prayed for hair. (laughs) And Patricia knows several precious folks who did not survive this type of leukemia. But for some reason, when she let Jesus be Lord, he healed her. Here's the point. Let me just get back to it. Are you praying for a miracle? Maybe you're demanding God to do something Are you bitter? Has something not happened that you wanted the Lord to do for you? Are you captive to something that you won't let go? Where's the hope? The Lord Jesus, listen friends, loves you and is calling you to turn to him right now like Patricia did, by faith. Look what Isaiah wrote, all these words. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. How do you do it? Verse seven. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to whom? The Lord, and he will have mercy on them to our God. He will freely pardon. I love it, verse eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways, what? My ways, declares whom? The Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, we don't understand God. If there was, let's say, an ant crawling across this table and I got that ant to go on my smartphone, that ant would have a better chance of knowing how to operate this thing than I would have known how God operates. Moses, who wrote all this, and I think Moses wrote Genesis 2 and 3 the way he did because he knew Do you want to know what God can do or do you want to know the Lord? And you know what the last thing is that Moses said? 
It's in Deuteronomy 32. You can see it. It's a song that he taught Israel. Here's part of it. Deuteronomy 32. Moses said, I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He's the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. But sometimes, wow, sometimes what are we like? Remember the religious leaders? They came to Jesus and they tested him by saying, show us a sign from heaven. Do something to prove yourself. What did Jesus say in verse four? A wicked and adulterous generation, what? Ask for a sign. You'll be given no sign, but you can see how God loves people through Jonah. And when he's hanging in torment on the cross, the chief priest, teachers of the law, the elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Show us. Let him come down from the cross. Prove yourself. Then we'll believe in him. Show us what you can do. And maybe, just maybe, we become angry, distant, disenchanted with Almighty God because he hasn't done what we've wanted him to do. We want to be Lord. We find ourselves again distant. It's called pride. Not willing to trust him, but making our own choices. Friends, listen, no matter what you face today, the Lord wants you to turn to him and call on his name. You may not know how you came to the place you are. You feel so distant. You say, what, what do I do? Well, listen, two groups of people. First, if you've never turned to Jesus, if you've never, like in Sunday school or VBS or camp, you never made him Lord right now, and I'm a simple guy, so I gotta keep it real simple. Sorry to the teachers in the room. I'm just gonna keep it A, B, C, okay? But A is admit your sin. Turn, repent from it. Repent just means you're going away from God and you stop and change your mind and your ways and you say, my sin separates me from you. B, believe that Jesus, to pay for your sin, he died and rose from the dead for you. He rose from the dead to prove that he conquered sin because sin brings death. And C, confess him as what? As Lord. Now, if you've done that in the past, maybe you've come to church for a long time, you've claimed Jesus as your Lord for years, but it's kind of waning right now, I want to give you three quick suggestions. One is, I'm going to recommend that uh, you open yourself to the word of God daily. I mean, you may be saying, gosh, I've got so many things going on in my life. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't this be fun if Jesus walked right in this room and said, sit down, Jim, gladly, and you could watch him open his mouth. I'm gonna show you Jesus opening his mouth right now. Oh, and he left you a note, okay. This is how, thank you, dear, this is how God speaks, friends. You may say, man, I wish we could do a lobotomy, open up the cranium of God to see what he's thinking. Here's God's mind opened up. His word. Because look what Isaiah wrote. God says, this is the one I esteem, whoever is what? Humble and contrite in spirit and what? Trembles at my word. Are you asking him? When you, see, when you open, I open, I go, Jesus, I can't understand this on my own, but Holy Spirit, talk to me. He wants that relate, a communion with you. And oh man, when you open up his word and ask him to speak, you humble yourself, he'll speak. But you gotta say, I gotta reject my ways. How about this number two? 
consider joining a small group this fall. You're going to hear a lot of it next week. There's, I think there's more than 16 new small groups than last time. And there's opening to some small groups. We need to get with each other because we're all wrestling through this, right? Consider joining a small group. Listen for that even starting next week. And number three, I want to challenge you to surrender your life to him daily. Mark wasn't able to be here today. Just love Mark Giffen, don't you? Love the staff here. And Mark was going to come up at this point with an acoustic guitar. Well, Mark's not here, so you help me out. Do you know the chorus of this song by Lincoln Brewster? I love it. It just goes like this. And I surrender all to you, all to you. Do you know that? Would you sing it with me? And I surrender all to you, all to you. Jesus, thank you that you love us to tell us the truth and you don't quit on us. Forgive me, Father, for how many times I've run my own way. And I want to open myself up each day to your word. I want to commune with you. I want to commune with others, and I want to surrender daily. Father, I'm a proud man. But I want to humble myself in your sight, not in the sight of the world. Maybe, Father, if I try to humble myself in the sight of the world, it would be a show. I want to humble myself in your sight, and I ask that as folks here today humble themselves, they would sense your arms surrounding them, and they would let you be Lord. Thank you for what you've done and what you will do. You are Lord. In Jesus' name, we all say, hey, thanks for hanging in there with me this morning. If you're able to dismiss, would you stand with me? And I'm just gonna close with these words that I've just used for years, and I love them. They're what Moses said to the people every day, and I wanna say it to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord cause his face Oh, his beautiful face that we're going to see someday. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you. And as he lifts up his countenance, may the Lord grant you his peace. God bless. Stay cool. Have a great day.